Well, today uh, we'll be receiving communion together, Lord's Supper, and uh, wanted just wanted you to to know and understand that uh, as we gather to receive the Lord's Supper together, that we do so as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, that our, our, our remembrance of Christ's sacrifice um, is not a thing which we do because we belong to a certain denomination or, or something like that, but it's something that we do as believers that we're called to do um, by Christ himself, um, that, that we um, take the bread and uh, the juice together as a remembrance of the Lord's sacrifice for us, his body and his blood shed for us. And um, that we would have forgiveness of sins and become children of God by faith in Him. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we invite you today to join with us when we, when we get to that point of our worship today where we participate in the Lord's Supper. So, Hebrews chapter 5, we're actually going to begin in verse 14 of chapter 4, just so we can loop in a little bit of uh, helpful context to our passage today. And um, we're going to start to toe into some, some interesting discussions here in this part of, of Hebrews. Um, and you're going to hear a name today that we're not really going to go into much today, um, but we will in, in future weeks here. Um, uh, Melchizedek, and uh, so that'll that'll be interesting. Although today we won't get too much into Melchizedek, uh, we will in future weeks here. But we begin to uh, um, talk a little about him today. But um, what Hebrews remember that there are there are two two things that we kind of keep coming back to with Hebrews. The main one is this: that that there is no one like Jesus. He is superior in, in every way to, to everyone, um, whether it's, it's the prophets of old, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Moses, that he is superior to Moses, um, he's superior to the angels, um, he's superior to the priests, as we'll f- find through this, uh, that's part of the discussion through this part of Hebrews, his sacrifice is superior to all other sacrifices that have been given in the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. He is superior to all. There is no one like him. There's no one who even competes with him in his supremacy. And, um, and so as we get into Hebrews chapter 5 and we get a little further into our discussion about Jesus being our great high priest, um, what is going to unfold for us is that it is not like Jesus is just a better high priest. He is the great high priest. So it is, it is not just that he rose, you know, he was sort of the cream of the crop when it came to priests. He is the crop. Right? There's no one who compares with him. And so he is a superior high priest from a superior, as we're going to begin to see here today, though we won't go into it a lot, from a superior priesthood. Now that'll make a little more sense hopefully as we get into that discussion a little bit. But I thought it might be helpful today because um, we uh, uh, can, can, can maybe miss out on a little context here when we start talking about Jesus being our great high priest. And, and uh, you know, some of us are a little resistant to that kind of talk. So we're like, well, you know, we're not Catholic or we're not whatever. Um, but th- this, isn't, this isn't a discussion about uh, church governance or uh, authority and the way we, we assemble as believers. This is a discussion about sin and the way sin is dealt with before a holy and righteous God and who it is that stands before the Father in regards to uh, sin and judgment and salvation. And so the the issue at hand is is not are you okay with Jesus being called a great high priest? The issue at hand is you must have uh, a sufficient 
high priest to stand before the Father for you. You must have a sufficient high priest standing before the Father on your behalf. And so the question really is, do you have a sufficient high priest to stand before the Father? It is not, do you need one? Because that one is just, it is assumed here as in this discussion through Hebrews that you need one. Is yours sufficient? Whether you know, you're the sort of high priest of your life that you feel like you can kind of handle things on your own. Um, or you look to some religious authority or some other person in this world that you see as some sort of uh, authority on spiritual matters or whatever, uh, or whether you look to Christ. But uh, is your high priest sufficient? So let's look at um, a couple of things that a priest does according to the Old Testament, what the priests were to do. Uh, They were to be mediators um, on man's behalf to God. Now that's going to be kind of important and we'll double back to that. But they're mediators between man and God. And um, what they mediate is mankind has a sin problem. And God is holy and righteous. And the, the two, uh, sin and holy and righteous, uh, they combine even worse than oil and water. Right? They're, they're diametrically opposed and, and they, the two shall not meet. So sin must be taken care of if those who are sinners are going to have any sort of communion and fellowship with holy and righteous God. And so the, sin, the, 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 uh, the priest's job were to mediate for mankind in regards to sin especially they would offer sacrifices of thanksgiving as well, uh, gifts and offerings before God in terms of thanksgiving and praise and worship. But one of their main roles was to deal with this problem of sin. And what we're going to begin to get into in this part of Hebrews is, was, was their ability to do so sufficient for mankind? And um, that question is going to be, become blatantly, the answer is going to become very obvious to us when we begin to compare the, the old uh, priesthood system, sacrificial system, with the coming of Christ and who he is, our great high priest, and his sacrifice for mankind. So if we, were to, if we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 3, we get a little clue as to... Uh, what the, what the high priest's job was. Hebrews 8.3, it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So the priest was, was offering gifts and sacrifices, so we, which I think we kind of already knew that. But if you flip over also to chapter 10, verse 11, um, I think there's, there's kind of an interesting insight into the duties of the priest. Hebrews 10.11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So that, that's really important. Um, the priest's job were to offer sacrifices for sin, but their job was never done, which is why Hebrews says they stand repeatedly, um, they stand repeatedly because the job is never done, the, the, the sacrifices are never sufficient, and, uh, and so the, the priest's job was one of, of continually needing to deal with the problem of sin before a holy and righteous God. It was just, they could never catch up on it. And um, we're going to look at a little bit of why that was. Their lives were consecrated to God, were to be really purposed towards, towards mediating between man and God. Their whole life, every part of their lifestyle was to be consecrated for this very purpose. And, um, and they had need to actually purify themselves, as we're going to find out in our text today. They actually had need to purify themselves so that 
they could go before God on behalf of mankind. Uh, because, see, they, they, they are part of mankind. So the sin problem was not just a problem of the people that they represented. The sin problem was, was uh, a sin problem of the people of which they were one. So the sin problem was also theirs. So in order for them to, to uh, stand before God on behalf of mankind, and, and they also had to have their sins atoned for. So let's, that's just uh, a little bit on, on priests, and uh, we're going to get more into that as we read our text today here and discuss it. So um, let's look, pick it up at chapter 4, verse 14 of Hebrews. Since then we have a great high priest, referring to Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What we have here uh, beginning is a discussion about uh, Jesus, the great high priest, and the priests of the, that were called in the Old Testament under the, Le- the Levitical law and the priesthood there. Um, and there's a comparison and a contrast between them. And there's also going to, we're going to move into a comparison and contrast between the sacrifices that were offered uh, and uh, and, and in the end of Hebrews, it, be, it becomes, if there was any doubt as to who, who was the, the, uh, where a sufficient sacrifice could be had and where a sufficient high priest could be found, that question is emphatically answered through Hebrews. So let's look at a few things here um, that are contrasted through our passage today between Jesus and all the other priests. First one is is this priests act on behalf of men. Jesus, however, acts on behalf of God to man and on behalf of man to God. So we have a unique priest in Jesus in that all that men could really do was to stand before God on behalf of the people um, because they weren't divine. They 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 were not Uh, Of God, they were of man. Jesus is the Son of God. That is a message pretty loudly proclaimed through Hebrews. He is the Son of God in human flesh. And so he represents God to man and man to God. And so Jesus is a unique kind of a priest from all other priests because no one else could do that. Now, both, it says uh, here in our text today, that both of them, um, uh, you know, and this is an admirable thing for the priest's calling. In verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So the idea of priests, uh, the priests were that they were 
called from a people like themselves, and so they were acquainted with what their people would go through and the sufferings, the temptations that they deal with because they dealt with them as well. They also, unfortunately, were acquainted with sin as were the people. And so that gets to our second point here in that the priests share with the people in sin. Uh, and so they, they not only understand their people's weakness, they also share in that weakness. That weakness being that they are sinners in need of forgiveness before a holy and righteous God. Sinners who stand in the way of God's judgment. Now Jesus, it says, at the end of chapter 4, it says that, that we have a great high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus Christ also has gone through the temptations that we suffer through as human beings, yet he did so without sin. And so the difference between Jesus, our great high priest, and the other priests are that while both can sympathize with our weakness, one does so from a place of sin, the other does so from a place of righteousness and holiness. Jesus Christ sympathizes with our weakness because he has been through the type of temptations that we go through, the type of sufferings that we have gone through and will go through, yet without sin. The best that the other priests could do was to sympathize with uh, uh, their cohorts, uh, their weaknesses, because they themselves dealt with such things. And they themselves were sinners in need of God's grace and mercy. But Jesus is able to show compassion and mercy from an uncorrupted position. And he is also able, rather than only to stand before a righteous God and plead for forgiveness, Jesus alone is able to give forgiveness and cleansing. Let's look at the third thing here. The priests, um, how were they appointed? Well, let's look at uh, verse 4 there. It says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, so the priests were appointed by God, um, but they were appointed by God through a a blood lineage. Right? So uh, if you were going to be a priest, you had to have the right family tree. And if you didn't have the right family tree, you didn't qualify. Um, so the priests were descendants of uh, Levi, one of, the, um, one of the children of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and so descendants of Levi were the ones who could become priests. Which this gets into some, some uh, interesting conversation as we go through Hebrews because Jesus didn't qualify in that sense. But, yet Jesus is our great high priest because Jesus was appointed, let's, let's look here, verses, uh, verse 6, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, Okay, so it wasn't Jesus that, that stepped into this to take this honor for himself. But he was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Who was it that said this to him? God the Father. Says to God the Son. As he, also, as he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus Christ is called as the Son of God, God the Son, by God the Father, to be priest forever. And then we'll get into a little bit here, uh, uh, and more so in future weeks here, about what it means to be after the order of Melchizedek. And there's a point to that discussion. I'll clue you in. The point is not about Melchizedek. 
So the discussion about Melchizedek in Hebrews is to bring across the greater point about who Jesus is. So we can get really sidetracked on who is Melchizedek. Um, not a lot, I'll, I'll just tell you, there's not a lot to be had in Scripture about Melchizedek. But the point of Hebrews is to bring to light Melchizedek to show the greater uh, uh, person of Jesus Christ to us. To illuminate him even more so. And so, the, uh, the, Jesus was appointed by God directly because he is the Son of God, God the Son. And he has a different kind of priesthood than the other priests. Um, and notice that it says, you are priest forever. Now, that didn't apply to the Levites. That didn't apply to the human priests from the Old Testament. In fact, not only were they, as you know, human beings who have a birth and they have a death. So by virtue of being man, and only man, as opposed to Jesus, who is the God-man, fully God, fully man, uh, and eternal, uh, the Old Testament priests were, were, were finite. They had a beginning, they had an end. They had a birth date, they had a death date. Um, and, and that applied to all of them. So even if they were to serve their entire life, um, they could not be priest forever. But even more than that, they weren't called to be priests forever, even in the way they served. They were called to be priests for just a period of their lifetime. In fact, in Numbers chapter 8, uh, we won't turn there, but in Numbers chapter 8, 23 through 26, it, it, it says that they begin service at age 25 and they end at age 50. And then there is some service that they provide then, we're called to provide in the temple, but it, it, it changed from a priestly duty to one of being more of an attendant and being present in the temple. And so... We have a big contrast in this, in that Jesus Christ is called by God directly to be priest forever. To represent man to God and God to man forever. Where the Levites had um, essentially uh, 25 years um, to serve in that capacity. But Jesus is eternal. And his calling is forever. Let's look at the fourth thing. Verse 7 here. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, I don't think we're meant to understand that there were no other priests who were sincere in their reverence to God or, or who did not offer prayers uh, heartfelt prayers to the Father, but rather that the way in which Jesus prays uh, and, and fellowships with the Father and trusts in Him completely dependent on Him um, and, and His reverence for His Father in heaven uh, are so far superior that He is unique in this. The way in which He is reverent to his father in heaven is unique among all priests um, if you would like to to look at an example of this you could look at john chapter 17 uh, a great example of 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 christ in fellowship with the father so we have god the father and god the son in fellowship through prayer and we see the son completely dependent on the father we see the Son over and over through the Gospels saying things like, I only say what my Father tells me to say and I only do what my Father has me do. Um, the priests of the Old Testament, they could, they could try to pull that off, but, but they were totally insufficient being sinners themselves to pull that off. Yet Jesus Christ um, fully depended on His Father in, in, in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as he prays, 
with loud cries and tears to his father who was able to save him from death. Um, it says he was heard because of his reverence. And the implication here for us is that there were no other priests that prayed like this. It's reminiscent of the way Jesus taught. No one prayed like Jesus. No one taught like Jesus. Remember when Jesus was in the temple and he stood up and he, and he reads the scriptures and, and, he, and he explains them and, and, and it says that people are like, wow, who is this guy? He teaches as one with authority. Yeah, because it's his word, right? The priest couldn't say that. It wasn't their word. It's, they're, they're just imparting words of someone else to others. Um, so there's a, a, a saying I heard from a Bible teacher. It says, I'm just one beggar helping another beggar find bread. Right? That was, that was the Old Testament priests, helping one, be- one beggar helping other beggars find bread. Jesus is the bread. He is the bread of life. And so he is unique um, in, in this regard as well in the way that he prays with such deep reverence for the Father, such deep dependence on the Father. In fact, if we want to know how to trust our Father in heaven, how to, how to really lean on God, how to depend on him, uh, boy, John 17 is a fantastic place to go. Let's look at point number five here in the comparing and contrasting of the Old Testament priests and Jesus. The priests learned obedience through sin. So and what I mean by that is that uh, the way that the that priests learned obedience was there was the law, and, and they were sinners under the law. And there was always sin to be atoned for. So the nature of their learning obedience had to do with sin. What does it say about Jesus? It says in verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What does that mean? What did he suffer? Well, Jesus suffered as a sacrifice for sinners. So where the the priests served in a capacity where they were always trying to deal with their sin and others' sin by giving sacrifices that we'll learn here later in Hebrews were really insufficient. Um, to forgive all the sins of of the people, Uh, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. He suffered the death uh, of, of a sinner on behalf of all sinners, receiving the wrath of God against sinners upon himself, though he was without sin, and suffered so that you and I could have forgiveness through him and become children of God by faith in Him. And so it says that Jesus learned obedience through His suffering. Now this is not an obedience that, um, that we ought to understand that Jesus was disobedient before this. And He learned how to be obedient through this. Uh, no, this was Jesus stepping into the fullness of what He is, who He is, and what He was called to. And so Hebrews uses some language that might be difficult for us to understand. Uh, terms like, you know, Jesus being, becoming perfect or being made perfect. Um, Jesus being begotten, as, it, as we read here, uh, it, this quote from, um, from the Old Testament here in, in verse 5. Um, and, and terminologies like this that suggest that Jesus wasn't something and then he became something. But rather, this is Scripture illuminating to us that, that what Jesus came to do, He completely and perfectly fulfilled. And in that sense, He became or was made. Actually, it probably should be more understood as He was revealed to be rather than something He wasn't and then became. He was revealed to be through what He did. And so... Um, Jesus learned obedience or his, uh, the nature of who he was and his priesthood being superior was revealed through his sacrifice, him becoming the sacrifice for sin. Point number six here. Look at verse nine. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
Now this one really sets him apart. Um, Priests were never made perfect. Now the language here for perfect um, is is not a a language of, of perfection like in a classroom where you're graded and you receive red marks or you don't receive red marks based on whether you got the right answer or the wrong answer, but rather perfection should be understood here as a completeness. Uh, being fulfilled, complete. <clears throat> and so, um, Jesus, uh, the, the priests of the Old Testament were never complete. In fact, their job was never done. Their sins continually needed to be atoned for so that they could atone for the sins of others. So there was a cyclical thing going on where they were never really perfected never really complete, never really fulfilled ultimately what a priest had to do for the people. But it says here in verse 9 that Jesus, through His sacrifice, uh, being made perfect or being revealed as the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, uh, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Now, to have eternal salvation requires an eternal forgiveness. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were not sufficient to provide for a a blanket uh, eternal forgiveness to sinners. So the sacrifice of Christ is unique in that way, and Jesus stands not just as one who helps people get across the bridge, to God, but as one who is the very bridge himself. He is the source himself. So while the priest would point to God as being the one who can help us with our sin, Jesus is the very one who came to deal with our sin and to take that upon himself. In fact, if we look at uh, in chapter 10, Uh, Verses 1 through 4. says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. That is, if the Old Testament sacrificial system was sufficient to take care of the sins of the people, to make them uh, uh, justified before God completely, then then, uh, wouldn't it have stopped? Because at some point, what what sacrifice is going to be needed, right, if all their sins are taken care of? Verse 3, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But look, look up there at uh, verse 11 of chapter 10. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from, the time, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One sacrifice by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was sufficient for humanity's sin to be dealt with before a holy and righteous God, while the priest's job of the Old Testament was never sufficient. No sacrifice was sufficient. No priest was sufficient. Only Jesus Christ himself and his sacrifice. And so he has become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. All right, last, last one that we're going to look at here is in verse 10. And being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we kind of already touched on this one, but I just want to mention it again here and double back to it. The the priests of the Old Testament, they were Levitical priests. They're called under the order of Levi. They are uh, descendants of Jacob. And they're designated by their blood lineage. Uh, Called by God, yes, 
through the way that, that, that God called the 12 tribes and, and called the, the Levites into service to him, uh, but called in a way that comes through the right, uh, the right uh, birth order here, or being, being uh, a descendant by blood into the line of Levi. Jesus, however, is designated. So in that sense, they are designated by their, by their earthly heritage to become priests. But notice that Jesus, the Son of God, is designated by God directly a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the order of Melchizedek is, uh, we'll get into that. Uh, that's a really interesting um, thing that we're going we're gonna to delve into that we're not going to really go into today because to go into it at all at this point would just be to create confusion um, without enough time to start working through it. So we'll, we'll get to that. But Melchizedek, so for now, what, what we need to understand here and uh, up to this point is there's, there's being a, a priesthood, the order of priesthoods be, are being uh, compared. There's the, the priesthood that comes through the lineage of being born a Levite, and then there's the priesthood that comes somehow with this guy Melchizedek, or after the likeness of the priesthood of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus is not a better Levite. He's not just like the best Levite of the group, the best of the Old Testament priests. He is of another order entirely. He is a priest of another kind, a priest uh, with a different kind of calling than the priests of the Old Testament. Now, I think this is extremely important for us because lest we confuse that Jesus is just somehow better than those who came before him, uh, we need to really clearly understand this is not truly in the end, this is not a comparison of, of, of Jesus as our great high priest and the Old Testament priest. This is an illumination that Jesus is so far superior that it's not even worth comparison. I mean, that's really what Hebrews unfolds for us is how far insufficient um, the, the Old Testament sacrificial system and the Old Testament priests were to deal with the sins of humanity and how far superior, hey, I'll use my word again, superiorly sufficient Christ is as our sacrifice and great high priest to deal with our sin and to bring salvation to all who believe in him. And so as we kind of uh, wrap this up here today, I want to, I want to give you five things that, about Jesus that I think should do for us what, what Hebrews is set out to do for, for the hearers of Hebrews. Remember, um, so I, I mentioned it already, that, that Hebrews is really wanting, uh, uh, God is really wanting us to grasp that Jesus is superior to all others in every way. In the way he deals with our sin, in the way he goes before the Father on our behalf, in the way that he helps us, um, in the way that he, he connects us with God's grace and mercy. Um, he is far superior. Um, but also, because of that, then the message to the Hebrews is persevere. Uh, continue to grow and mature in your walk with God and to persevere in your faith and in your hope in Christ because of who He is. It stands on that foundation of Jesus Christ, that calling to persevere in our hope and faith. And so I want to leave uh, you with five things that we see here that we should be reminded of to help us be encouraged and exhorted to persevere in our faith and hope in Christ. And the first one is um, that, that he is your sacrifice for sin and the one who ensures that you are in right standing with God. So you, you um, are, are insufficient um, to, to, to be made right with God on your own. Right, so it it just you can't pull it off on your own, um, and Jesus Christ is the one who has become your sacrifice for sin, and the one who continually now stands before the Father, saying, "He's he's good, she's good, 
He's righteous. She's righteous. Not based on because they're doing a great job. They're knocking it out of the park. But based on that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for you, for me. And that we have received that gift by faith. Second thing is that he comes to you from heaven. Right? So if we look back at at chapter 4, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Jesus has passed through the heavens to become your sacrifice and then passed through the heavens to become your mediator. So in other words, God sent his son, right? John chapter 3, God sent his son to, to become a sacrifice for you, for me. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ entered this world, being fully God, became human like us, lived a sinless life, became our sacrifice, and then returns to the right hand of the Father where he now represents you and I before the Father. And so he is our sacrifice and our high priest, having passed through the heavens, not just somebody who earthly is trying to help us out. The third thing is that he's unchanging and eternal. Um, There's nobody else that we can trust in that is unchanging and eternal. Sometimes there's some good people down here on this globe that have some interesting things to say and perhaps are even well-meaning. But none of them are unchanging and eternal. And only Jesus Christ can infallibly give to us the wisdom of God. Fourth thing is that he's uncorrupted by sin, he's uncorrupted by selfishness, and he's uncorrupted by pride. You know, even in the Old Testament priesthood, even, even with the, the, you know, there, I think there were probably some phenomenal Old Testament priests, just really phenomenal people, who, who seriously wanted to do everything right before God. Certainly not all of them, but they really, I think many of them, they really did have a heart that they wanted to please God. They wanted to move in that direction, but you know, even them, they suffered with selfishness. They suffered with pride. They suffered with the corruption of sin. But Jesus Christ has no such hindrance in in dealing with us and in representing us. There is no selfish struggle within Christ. There is no prideful struggle within Christ. There is no corruption that that is going on internally with him where he's fighting this battle of like, you know, I love him, but sometimes I just hate him, but then I wrestle with this, but I know I should love him. And Jesus isn't having that internal struggle. He's the son of God, sinless in every way, who loves you completely and stands before the Father on your behalf. And the fifth thing is this, that he's, uh, which we already mentioned. He's not just a better version of the insufficient priesthood system. He is a perfect and greater high priest after a different likeness entirely, after a different order entirely. And we'll get more into that one in future weeks here. But you know what this does for me? It makes me think of um, in my struggle with sin, in my struggle with this world and the hardships of this world, where do I go? Right? The Old Testament priesthood, it was people going to other people to help them out. We've been given something so much better than that. Now, we're still people helping each other out, but the way we help each other out as believers is ultimately to point one another to Christ who is our help, who is our strength, who is our great high priest, who is our mediator, who is our sacrifice. So the best way to help one another is by going, right? Um, we're, we're, the, uh, we're the flagger on Goosehaven going, right? Um, with the ghost sign, not with the stop sign there, right? Um, so in our struggle against sin, when we fall short, um, you know, there might be a lot of people that try to give us their version of counsel and wisdom and encouragement, but the only one who has 
a perfect wisdom and counsel for us. The only one who can truly help us in our weakness is Christ himself. And he's a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, as Hebrews uh, 6 reminds us. He's unchanging. And as Hebrews 4 reminds us there at the tail end, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. We have a high priest that when we go to him, Jesus Christ, we're going to find grace and mercy. Rather than chastisement, rather than a whack on the knuckles, that, um, that he is going to show grace and mercy. And so when it says there, and at the end of Hebrews chapter 4, um, or uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, in, in chapter 5 verse 9, it says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What does it mean to obey then in this sense? Is it is to believe in Christ by faith and that obedience is, is not, it, it, it's not just the, the checklist that we go through to mark off, um, but rather it, is, it actually means when we start digging into what that word actually means in the original language, it means to listen in, attentively. To listen attentively and then submit to that authority. And so what it means to obey Christ, it is to listen attentively to him and then submit to his authority in our life. Well, church, we, um, we ought to take great, great confidence and great hope in Christ, our source of eternal salvation. And that's to all who believe him with this kind of obedience that faith and obedience that go together where you trust in him in a way where you listen to him and you submit to his authority. And that's the kind of faith we're called to. And I wonder if uh, there are some of you who have resisted that kind of trust in him. That maybe you've kind of settled on just uh, saying in your head, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But it's fallen short of obeying him of an obedient faith where it combines not just an intellectual understanding of this, but it combines it with a heart issue of listening attentively to him and submitting then to his leadership and authority in our life. That we express our trust in him by relying on him as he relied on the Father. But you can do that today by asking him for his forgiveness and by asking him to be the Lord of your life. And as believers, we constantly need to be reevaluating who is our great high priest? Um, who are we seeking for help? Are we trusting truly in him? Are we submitting truly to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that when we approach you, you do not turn us away um, with, with some sort of just a, a lashing or, or a, um, just a denial of us. But Lord, when we, we come to you by faith, when we come to you in humility, Lord, you receive us as your children and you give us your mercy, you give us your grace, and you give us your help and your strength to help us in our times of need. And we thank you that you have given us a great high priest who, who knows the stuff we go through. And yet, um, Lord, is with, you are without sin. You're perfect, and you're perfectly just and perfectly gracious and kind and patient with us all at the same time, and we, we are so grateful for that. And I just ask that for those here who may be wrestling, Lord, with the idea of letting you um, be in charge of their life, that, that Lord, you would, you would help us all to take that step of faith each day, and perhaps for some here to take that step for the very first time to submit themselves uh, to you 
to trust in your sacrifice for them and to, and to trust wholeheartedly that you are sufficient to make them right um, before God, to deal with their sin. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to our time of communion together where we remember... Sometimes it's um, good to remember, even through simple songs like this, how meaningful they are and how much God really does have everything in control. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. Church, I have a scary thought for you. What if I was the only thing that stood between you and heaven? What if, what if I was the guy that was in charge of helping you reach heaven? <laughs> You're right. You would be. I'm in agreement. That is a scary thought. Uh, because you know as well as I do that there's none of us who are sufficient to take that place for one another. Can you imagine having all of your hope of eternity wrapped up in whether or not I'm a sufficient high priest for you? Well, I'm not your high priest. Um, Jesus Christ is your great high priest. And the message of Hebrews is he is sufficient entirely, completely, without flaw. He is your sufficient high priest. He is enough. And your eternity in him is secure because he is an unfailing high priest. And that ought to just give you a peace and a calm through your existence that your stress about whether or not you're going to make it into heaven doesn't rely on your goodness. It doesn't rely on my goodness. It relies on the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless and keep you.